Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte, Creative and Technical Director here at Evidence for Faith. And we are in episode 19. Oh my gosh, we are getting towards the end of the series. So as always, this program is supported by listeners just like you. If you'd like to help support this broadcast and keep it free, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And with that, yep, today it's really short. Here is Michael Lane in The Road to Emmaus, Messianic Prophecies of the Old Testament, episode 19. Hello and welcome to Evidence for Faith uh, with me, Michael Lane, your host. And as we're continuing in our series uh, entitled The Road to Emmaus, these are the major messianic prophecies of the Old Testament concerning Jesus and his ministry is coming as the suffering Messiah. And as we started in Genesis and we're going through the Old Testament, the Old Covenant itself, we're today going to finish up the uh, book of Isaiah. And that is, uh, we're just going to look at one section of scripture today in this lesson. This is sort of odd that we're just looking at one section instead of multiple ones, because there is so much in this one that I'm about to show you as we go through this. Um, this is, as we've been numbering our different prophecies, as we've been going through here, we are at number 64. So 64 uh, is... Uh, this is the 64th prophecy, major prophecy, I should emphasize, major prophecy uh, concerning Jesus, um, how the Jews would recognize him, and also what his ministry is coming in his first uh, advent here, and when he came as being the suffering Messiah. What would he be like, and what is his purpose? And Isaiah is just giving us an amazing passage. Um, some of the prophecies we've seen in the last couple of lessons have just been remarkable. And as we go into this one today, we're in Isaiah chapter 52. So this is prophecy 64 coming from Isaiah chapter 52. Now we're going to be starting in verse 13 of that chapter, but we're going to continue into the next chapter. And that will be 53. And we're going to take that all the way to verse 12. So there's a large amount of verses that we're covering here today. Um, and I'm entitling this a preview of the scourging, a preview of the scourging. Now, as I mentioned, Isaiah, and we've talked about this before, lived around 700, um, 680, 700 B.C. So this is 700 years before Jesus came, born of the Virgin Mary, and at the age of 30 started his ministry, and about three, three and a half years later was crucified. And so that's uh, the length of his ministry, which is three and a half years. And we know he was 30 years old, because Dr. Luke in his gospel starts off the gospel by telling us the age of Jesus when he began. And, and actually that has to do with a prophecy we talked about with Jesus now being our high priest. Uh, a priest took um, began their duties at the age of 30. And Jesus, according to the um, the writer of Hebrews, is now our high priest in heaven, a much superior high priest than Aaron or any of Aaron's descendants could be, even greater than Melchizedek, who's mentioned back in Genesis chapter 4 during the time of Abraham. But Isaiah writes this, and it's 700 years. you got to sort of just grasp this now. It's 700 years before this event takes place. And 
It's all about the scourging, the crucifixion of Christ. Isaiah is given a tremendous gift. He is allowed the opportunity of seeing somehow through a vision from the Holy Spirit, we don't know, but it definitely comes from God, that he's able to see the crucifixion of the Messiah. And he he paints a picture of this in words describing it in tremendous detail and an accuracy that is just uncanny. Um, as Jesus, the Messiah, pays the ultimate price to restore fallen man to the Holy Father God. And like I say, this description here is remarkable in its detail. And in the midst of this section, we're also going to see, and it's just not one prophecy here. There's about 14 prophecies in this passage. So we're going to look at them. That's why this is going to be just one lesson. We're going to look at all of these as we read this section together. Now, many people are familiar with this because many pastors of their churches will teach this or preach from this um, around Easter time. They use this passage frequently besides the four Gospels. They use this one because it is foretelling exactly what was taking place. And again, this is 700 years before the events took place. Um, the accuracy is just uncanny. So if you're following along, we're doing this out of the English Standard Version, which is a word-for-word -word translation. And as, if you're following along and you want to follow with your Bible, or if you just want to listen as I read through the passage and then come back and hit certain sections from this large passage to explain exactly what's going on, that, that's up to you. Uh, if you're taking notes or whatever, there's this, this is just so exciting, this one. I've been, I've been just waiting to get to this one because this is just so cool. So um, here we go. Let's get into the passage and then I'll explain. I mean, you're, if you just picture in your mind the Easter story, the crucifixion, the scourging, the stabbing, uh, the, the crown of thorns, uh, the, the cross, the suffering, the death, and, and even the resurrection, all of that is in this one prophecy. It's remarkable. So uh, just sort of picture this in your mind as we read through this text and see how you, and I'm sure you'll be able to do this, you'll be able to see, wow, Jesus fulfilled that. And we read some more and you'll say, oh, wow, this, this is fulfilled by Jesus. And you'll see this as we go through it. And what is amazing to me also is that uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, the books of Isaiah that have been discovered, which show were written hundreds of years before Christ ever um, did this, ever walked through this. These, these books were written hundreds of years before from the Dead Sea Scrolls alone, not just the book of Isaiah when Isaiah wrote it. Um, but even the oldest copies we have of Isaiah were written hundreds of years before, and they describe this um, it, perfectly. Our Bible is accurate, people. It is very accurate. When you look at something like a New American Standard or a, um, interlinear, or even uh, some of the wordings changed to make it more readable in the English Standard, I mean, it's not perfect. Um, the, the authentic autograph from God was perfect. Um, trying to translate it from English, uh, Latin, I'm sorry, get it right yeah, here, Michael, trying to translate it from from Hebrew and Chaldean or Greek into English is sometimes a little difficult. That's why we have so many different translations today for one reason. But as we get into this, you will see these different things here and how accurate this is. So let's begin as we go through this. This is Isaiah chapter 52. It's um, starting at verse 12, and we're going to go through chapter 53, verse 12 also. So here we go. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight. 
For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and be exalted. And many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what they have heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we would look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one of them who men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now that's the passage. That is just remarkable. There are so many prophecies that are here. So let's take a look um, as we run through this. Let's take a look at some of the specific uh, prophecies that Isaiah 
it is a privilege to be able to see, and he writes down 700 years before the events take place, seven centuries now, we're talking, 700 years before it takes place, yet he hit it perfectly. So as we run through these, first of all, um, we see the, the first one I can give you here is um, back in verse... Uh, uh, chapter 52, verse 14, it talks about Jesus is going to be suffering an appalling and disfiguring death. So we see that. That's one thing right there. We see this. That, and he was. It's the crucifixion took place. Uh, they scourged him and they beat him bloody and, and, and just took, he didn't even resemble human form almost. He was so bloodied and, and beaten. His, his abuse was so bad because the Jews wanted him dead. See, people could often live on the cross for a couple of days. The Jews had to kill him before sunset. So his beating had to be extremely brutal. Second, second prophecy we see in here that we can see. Um, Jesus's blood is going to be sprinkled for the nations. And um, it, it brings the king to submission. He talks about going to trial. This is in verse 15, chapter 52, verse 15, that the blood would be sprinkled for the nations. His blood would be poured out for all the nations for the forgiveness of sins. Is, is, later on, it talks about that, that, but his blood will cover for all. This means Jew and Gentile both. A, a third one we see here was in chapter 53 now. In the first three verses, it talks about how Jesus was rejected by Israel for being too plain. There was nothing special about Jesus that made him stand out. He was a typical looking Jew. And there's nothing special about him. And, and even in scripture, we see that he's, he's talked like that. Uh, he's mentioned and described that there was nothing really that special about his appearance. No, he didn't come looking like, you know, he had a massive six pack and arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was an average person, man in appearance. Uh, so there was nothing that stood out is what this is saying. Then we come to a fourth one. In verse four, it says, stricken, smitten by God. This is a fulfillment as the Pharisees and other religious rulers actually thought Jesus was being crucified as a result of God's will, God's punishment upon him for what he had done wrong. But Christ never did anything wrong. It even says in this passage that no deceit ever came out of his mouth. He never even lied, not even a white lie once. Jesus didn't do this. So he is actually suffering a punishment of the sins, but it, it was, they thought he was being smitten by God. But no, this was all God's plan. Going back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. Then there's a fifth one here that we see. It says in verse 5 that he's going to be wounded. And he was. It foretells, or foretells Jesus being stabbed on the cross and, and being nailed to the cross. He's wounded. He's scourged. He's been, been beat horribly with a Roman flagrum, uh, like a flagellum. It was a, a, a whip that, that possessed a, a long strips of leather. And at the ends of these, there would be pieces of broken bone and there would be pieces of, of lead. And other pieces were just left as thin strips of of uh, leather, and as they beat him on this, the leather acted like uh, like knives and just lacerated the flesh. The pieces of metal hit hard and caused massive contusions and breaking of blood vessels and damaging tissue, and, and the little pieces of bone would actually dig deep into the flesh and rip out sections. And he was beaten like this from the neck all the way down to the soles of his feet on his backside, and he was 
just totally abused as this took place. Matter of fact, some ancient Roman writers, some historians write that when a person was crucified and was scourged before going to the cross, the men that stood there beating the victim were often, because every time they would hit with this flagrum, when they would hit the victim's back, a mist of blood would come over. And when it was all over, these Romans that are doing the whipping were actually covered in blood. And if they're covered in blood, imagine how the appearance is of the victim. Then there's a a sixth one, and that's also in verse 5. It says, and it brings us peace, brought us peace. This talks about another prophecy we talked about, which is covered by Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. You see, before we become Christians, before we uh, repent and turn to Jesus in trust and commitment to and, and believe in him, we are enemies of God. Now we have peace with God because of what Christ did. He took our sin to the cross and he is smitten by God, not for what he did wrong, but for what we did wrong. And Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a seventh one. Go to verse 6 in this passage. It reads, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right there we see exactly why Christ came to die. Skeptics today say that the that Christ died because um, he, he was uh, a teacher, a rabbi, that just um, finally made enough people bad and they just went and killed him. No, this was God's plan all along. And Jesus made no secret of this, that he was going to die by crucifixion. He tells Nicodemus, um, when the Son of Man is lifted up, That's not being stoned, which is the proper way of capital punishment to the Jews. No, he had to be crucified. He had to be hung on a tree. Because going back into the Torah, there was a curse that was put upon anybody from God. It says that any person who was hung on a tree is cursed by God. And the people, when they finally got him, they kept it constantly. If you ever noticed in in the Gospels, many times they pick up stones to stone him. But he never got stoned. No, he he could not be stoned. He had to uh, die a death that would be cursed by God. Thus, he had to be hung on a tree. And Caiaphas, when they finally, he and his um, boys finally get Jesus and um, have him in their hands and in their grasp, notice they don't stone him. Instead, they take him to the Romans to have him crucified without knowing that they're fulfilling prophecy that uh, sin is a curse and God curses everything, not just man, but the whole cosmos, it says, has been cursed by God and everything falls on Jesus for this. And that's why Jesus is killed. Not because somebody was jealous of him, not because of the, it wasn't some accident that happened. It was all prearranged and planned. And Isaiah, 700 years before it is happening, is actually telling us why Christ is going to suffer and die. Why the suffering Messiah comes. And it's right here that he, in the seventh little prophecy you see in his, that all the iniquity of sin is laid upon him, who was innocent through this whole thing. There's an eighth prophecy. In verse 7, it says, he opened not his mouth. Opened not his mouth. If you recall, in the trials of Jesus, he talks very little. Matter of fact, Pilate is amazed when he's finally brought before Pilate that he doesn't defend himself. Pilate even says, what's the matter with you? Don't you realize I have your life in my hands? Jesus makes a little quip right back to him. You'd have no power at all if it wasn't coming from above. 
And his talk was very little. He never like calls out trying to defend himself, saying, hey, I'm innocent. I'm not supposed to be here, et cetera, et cetera, like any of us would probably do. Jesus doesn't do that. He was very quiet. Um, he, he spoke very few things, and the things he did speak generally deal with prophecies that he would say. And so that's how this all fills out. Um, he, he didn't try to defend himself. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 14, but he gave no answer, not even a, to a single charge, so that the governor was amazed. So we see that this was all prophesied, no accident. It's all being fulfilled. It was all God's plan. There's a ninth prophecy here too. Um, in verse nine, it says, his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in death. If you'll recall, Jesus was put in a brand new tomb. Whose tomb? Joseph of Arimathea. Now, he was a very wealthy man. And so, Jesus is going to be put into his grave, a brand new grave, never been used before, fulfilling this prophecy. We read about this in Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 60. We read, when it was evening, there came a rich man, from Arimathea. Notice, stop right there. Notice it says a rich man. What did Isaiah say? A rich man in death. Here we go. Continuing, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered it to, to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Uh, we also can read just not that account. Take a look at what Mark wrote in Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 46. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that, uh, that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped it in the linen shroud, and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Um, let's go to Luke. Luke has the same description here, fulfilling this prophecy again. Right out of Isaiah, written 700 years prior, and Luke 23, verses 50 through 53 reads, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision in action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been yet laid. John, of course. John was a witness. We know he was there at the crucifixion. In John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42, we read, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds in weight. 
So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the custom, burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So Jesus is put into this tomb. And those of you who have had the blessed opportunity to travel to Israel, either with me or many other groups that go, um, sometimes they take you to the um, the area north of the Damascus Gate, on of the old city of Jerusalem, to the north side of that, to a place called the Garden Tomb. It's a beautiful place. Um, but I can tell you that that is not the actual burial spot of Jesus. It doesn't fit the description if you were to sit and list all the things describing what the tomb looked like. We just read a few of them here. And you will see it doesn't fit it. Also, it doesn't fit the architecture of a first century Jewish tomb. It's actually the architecture of a Jewish tomb from the time of Vat Hezekiah or about the time of Isaiah. Um, this is not the tomb, though it gives you an idea of roughly what it might have been like. Um, but it's not the right place. Um, we don't know 100% for certain where Jesus was. Jesus didn't, when he rose from again, take a, a magic marker and write on the wall, Jesus was here as he exited the tomb. Um, he didn't do that. But we do have descriptions. And also we have, it's going to sound strange, um, we're thankful that the Romans recorded things. Romans were remarkable historians, and they took a lot of records of which have been passed down now. And also the early church writers wrote a lot about this. And it does appear, and I have a whole chapter in my book called uh, More Stones Bear Witness, where I explain where it is most likely, um, not 100% are we sure, but definitely in the 90% range, um, just by probability, that it is in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in the city, old city of Jerusalem today. Um, if you've been there and you looked at the tomb of Jesus, you would never recognize it because it's been altered and made into a shrine. That used to be on the edge of a cliff, uh, on the edge of a, uh, a rock wall, because that was a, a quarry for... Um, stones to be cut, <clears throat> excuse me, for uh, building in Jerusalem. But they built his tomb. Remember, it was says in there that it was cut into rock. And then later on, it was made into, they cut the rock around it uh, from behind it and stuff, but they made this tomb looking totally different. We'll probably have a podcast or a lesson on this, not a podcast, but probably a video lesson on this sometime in the future. But let's get back to our prophecies here. So that was nine. Let's look. Here's a tenth one. Let me show you a tenth one here. It says in verse 11, after he will see uh, the light of life. He's going to come back to life, in other words. Um, I just read you that from an NIV showing you how it's translated that way. Um, a thought for thought saying that he's going to see life again is what it's mentioning here. He will rise again. That's what this is all talking about. So there's a tenth thing, and he will rise. And of course, Jesus was resurrected. I'll tell you, I've been in the tomb of that I believe is Jesus in the church all stuff like I've even been in the one in the, the garden tomb north of the Damascus gate and I can tell you in both cases he ain't there Jesus Christ is not in the tomb you go to the tomb of Muhammad he's in there you go to the tomb of um some of these other Confucius and Buddha and guess what you're going to find these people in these tombs you're not going to find Jesus in his tomb because he rose again and walked out of there 
So we see that that was prophesied. And then we come to another one. This will be number 11 in here. Jesus was given innumerable followers. It talks about a spiritual seed. And that's in 53, uh, chapter 53, verse 10 talks about this. And he does have followers. After he rose from the, from the dead, people believed. He appeared to so many people and they started following him. And we have what is today the Christian church that is following Christ even to this day. The bride of, uh, of Christ that he would have followers. Uh, here's a 12th one that we can come across. It's in verse 12. It sums up all the prophecies basically in one sentence. Uh, he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I mean, that's the purpose of why Jesus came. Jesus is alive now. He makes trans uh, um, intercession for us between fallen man and God the Father. He is our high priest, if you will, because um, that's what a priest's job is. And so we see Jesus fulfilling this. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 through 8 Chapter 8, verse 2 talks about this. And we've mentioned this before, but let me just read it, since this is what this is mentioning right here, where it says that he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for transgressors. The writer of Hebrew writes in 7, 24 through 8, 2, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's talking about as Christians. Continuing verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those of a high priest to offer daily sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once and for all, he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Then you get to verse or chapter eight. Now the point, now the point in what we are saying is this: We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of Majesty in heaven, a minister in holy places, and in the true tent that God or that the Lord set up not man. We have not a man priest. We have Jesus Christ as our intercessor. Is the writer of Hebrews saying this? Like what the Old Testament priest did, Jesus did. He used his own blood, not the blood of an animal, and he covers our sins, and he now makes intercession for us, and he even tells us himself. He said that now, because of this, we're covered by his blood. We can go boldly to the throne of Christ. So, well, that was number 12. Let's, there's number 13. Um, in in verse uh, chapter 53, verse 11, it says that Jesus is going to satisfy. He, he, Jesus is satisfied today with the forgiveness that his death provided. And Jesus is. What he did, he conquered death. He conquered sin. He fulfilled his goal as the suffering Messiah. He is satisfied now. And now he reigns on his throne in heaven. Um, and he's going to come back someday. And then there's a 14th prophecy, which we see here in verse 12 also. Um, 53, 12, where it talks about Jesus has been rewarded by God. The Father is the victor over sin. And that also, we read that right in there, and we see that he is the victor over sin, over transgressions, over iniquities. Iniquities is just another fancy name for sin. He conquered all of this. 
This is an amazing prophecy pointing to not just the purpose of why the Messiah came. What was his ultimate purpose? That's why this prophecy is so important to us and that we know this prophecy. There's other little details in here that we could go into, but I mean, we could talk on this for hours, but we don't have time for that. Um, But I hope you have seen in this lesson today the purpose of why Jesus came how he fulfilled it, how it was foretold 700 years before it ever happened, how it goes back to even Genesis chapter 3, the very first sin, the curse of the earth, a curse on mankind, and he came to conquer all of this, to conquer sin, to conquer death, and he did it with his own body. He died. The human aspect of him died, and he had blood that poured out. They saw it in the scourging. And today, he lives forever. He is our king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And hallelujah, what he has done for us. Because I'll tell you, folks, not one of us deserve this. What he went through for us. This passage really hits me emotionally every time I read it. Because I think, this is what I should be going through. This is what I should have suffered for. But no, he did this for me and he did this for you do you know jesus christ as your lord and savior have you come to a saving knowledge of jesus christ have you committed your life have you have you put your trust in him that he can and he will save you that he went through this horrible death because he chose to because he wanted to love you and restore you. And it was the only way it could be done because God had made oaths and promises which cannot be broken. So Christ had to die for us to live with him. I hope that you who are listening know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And someday we're going to sit in heaven and we're going to rejoice about this as we see our King of Kings sitting on the throne. And we rejoice. And we worship and we praise him. So, Thanks for joining me through this lesson um, that we finished today. On the next lesson, what we're going to be doing is getting into another book. Um, There's just a few prophecies left in uh, Isaiah, and they're minor prophecies. We're only covering the major ones, and we're going to get into the book of Jeremiah next. So we'll be going through Jeremiah and opening up with a couple of very fascinating things with this that are often overlooked, many times overlooked. We don't quite catch them, but we'll be getting into that. And I, I do... Um, just thank you for joining me and listening to this podcast. And again, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us. We love to hear um, how this has impacted your life. Um, There's nothing special about me. I know that, but we're just serving God. We're serving and may the Holy Spirit speak to you. May God just touch your heart and whatever you're going through, just remember all the transgressions that we've done, all the pain and suffering we've done, Jesus took it all upon himself. And even you might be sitting there in pain, maybe with a bad diagnosis of a disease, maybe some emotional um, disaster has befallen you or your family, lean upon Jesus. He's our high priest. He's our intercessor. Lean upon him. Tell him. And may the peace that we cannot understand come from God and fill you. I pray for you that you will be blessed. So take care. And until we see our meeting again through our podcast, take care and God bless.
I hope you enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And help us keep this broadcast free. You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you would like to hear Michael live, you can also check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org or book your own event with Michael. So this is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.